Amen. Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me at this time. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 21, and we'll be in verses 23 through 27 this morning. Our message series is called Jesus in Jerusalem, uh, and in this series we are looking at the final week of Jesus' life uh, before he went to the cross. Uh, now, next week we're actually going to be taking a break from this series. We're going to be uh, jumping into an Advent series as we uh, work our way towards Christmas, uh, but we'll come back to this series after the new year, and so it'll be a very appropriate series as we lead our way up to uh, Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter as we look at Jesus' last week in Jerusalem. So far in our series, we've looked at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We looked at Jesus' cleansing of the temple. Last week, we looked at the cursing of the fig tree. And, and now in today's passage, uh, we find the religious leaders coming and confronting Jesus in the temple. And uh, this, is the, this is going to be the first of a whole number of confrontations we're going to see throughout the course of this series between Jesus and the religious leaders. A number of confrontations that take place during this final week in Jesus' life. And, and these passages, they're, they're actually a whole lot of fun. These, these are fun passages. They're, they're so much fun because the religious leaders think they're so smart. Uh, they, they always come up, they're thinking they're going to get the better of Jesus. You know, they're all, you know, okay, we've got them with this one. They're setting up their traps and their tricks. And, and, you know, Jesus beats them every time. And, you know, I'm sorry, I know I should have said spoiler alert first, okay? So let me try that again. Spoiler alert. Cover your ears if you don't want to know this. Jesus wins every time, okay? Spoiler alert. So in Matthew 21, 23 to 27, stand with me for the reading of God's word. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. <laughs> then he said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we uh, look at this passage, it's always easy uh, to pick on uh, those who are doing it wrong in the Bible. But Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. And Lord, if we're doing things wrong, that you would minister to our hearts. Uh, Lord, there's so much, there's plenty of grace and forgiveness to cover all of our sins. So we come to you asking your grace, your mercy, your help uh, in understanding these words and applying them to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Who's in charge here? Who's in charge here? How many times have you had to say those words or some variation of them? Here are some of the variations. I'd like to speak to the manager. May I speak with your supervisor then? Or my personal favorite, I would really like to speak to someone who can actually help me with my problem. 
Okay, have you ever gotten that far, right? Who's in charge here? It's a real important question, isn't it? Whether, uh, whether you're a family or a church or a small business or a nation, who's in charge? Let me give you a hint when it comes to families, okay? It works a whole lot better when it's the parents who are in charge instead of the kids, okay? If you need that word this morning, that's for you. I once heard a couple say, you know, we've decided we're not going to have children. And we plan to tell them after supper tonight. (laughs) So who's in charge here? See, that's the question that the religious leaders were struggling with when it came to Jesus. Because you see, before Jesus came along, it was obvious. They knew who was in charge. They were, right? They were in charge of the temple. They were in charge of the traditions. They are in charge of the teachings. And then Jesus comes along and he just upsets the whole apple cart, or at least the money changers' tables and the dove sellers' tables, right? And Jesus, he's saying things, he's doing things that no one has ever done or said before. Who's in charge here? Well, let's find out. That's what our passage is about. You know, we can take our passage and we can break it into three sections this morning. There's an outline in your worship guide this morning. I'd encourage you to take that out to follow along. Uh, But it breaks into three sections very nicely. Confrontation, counter, and closing. Confrontation, counter, and closing. Well, let's begin with our first section now on confrontation. This is where the religious leaders come now and they confront Jesus in the temple. Look at verse 23 with me. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you this authority? So here's Jesus teaching in the temple. Teaching. He is teaching, and the religious leaders come right up to him while he is teaching. That's what the text says. They interrupt him while he is teaching and start asking him questions. Imagine someone did that in the middle of the service, preaches up there preaching. Someone comes up and questions, by what authority are you doing this? Please don't do that, no ideas uh, there. But you you, you get the idea, this is what's happening in the temple. And once again, Jesus, by entering the temple and teaching there, what is he doing? What we've been talking about in this series, he is forcing the religious leader's hand. Jesus knows this is their territory. He knows he's, he's stepping on their turf. But he also knows that he has come to Jerusalem to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders, to die on the cross for sins, and then to be raised again on the third day. And that's not going to happen without confrontation. So Jesus continues to force the religious leaders' hands. So Jesus, he's in the temple, the religious leaders come up, and they question him specifically about his authority. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? So you might wonder, well, what are these things that Jesus has been doing? Well, we've been looking at them throughout this whole message series, haven't we? Riding into Jerusalem on the donkey as a king. Receiving the people's acclamation of him as Messiah. Driving the buyers and sellers out of the temple. Healing the blind and the lame in the temple. Affirming the praises of the children in the temple. And now he's out there teaching in the temple. So once again, Jesus is invading their territory. They're thinking, I thought we were the ones in charge of the temple. Where are the authorities? If anybody comes in here, they've got to ask us first. And so they're basically asking the question, who's in charge here? Who's in charge? 
So that's our first section. The religious leaders confront Jesus. Now Jesus counters the religious leaders. Look at the next verses, 24 through 26. Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves. Said, well, if we say from heaven, he'll ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we're afraid of the people. They all hold that John was a prophet. So you see, Jesus counters their questions with a question of his own. They have confronted him publicly in the temple. And so now Jesus counters them publicly in the temple. It's as though Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet here, right? It's like he's saying, you really want to do this, right? You want it right here, right now? Okay, well, let's do it. Here we go. You can almost hear the announcer in the background saying, let's red, red, it rumble, right? The confrontation is on. The counter is on. Jesus says, I'll answer your questions. You've got to answer mine. By the way, this is perfectly reasonable. This is perfectly fair. In fact, it's more than fair because remember, they asked Jesus two questions. He's only going to ask them one. And it's only one question, but folks, it is a doozy. John's baptism, Jesus says, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? You see, they asked him a question about authority, so he turns around and asks them a question about authority. He's basically saying, where did John the Baptist get his authority for his ministry? Did John get that from God, or is it just from men? Now, you got to remember who John the Baptist was. John the Baptist was Jesus' forerunner. He was Jesus' predecessor. John's whole ministry was a baptism of repentance in preparation for the coming Messiah. And then when Jesus came along, what did John do? He said, that's him. He says, that's him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John pointed to Jesus as the coming Messiah. And so Jesus asked the religious leaders, by whose authority did John do that? Do you do that by God's authority or from men? It's a masterful question. Masterful. If John's authority was from God, then that means Jesus' authority is also from God because John pointed to Jesus. If God told John to point to Jesus as the Messiah, then Jesus is the Messiah. But if John's just operating on his own, then maybe, maybe Jesus is just operating on his own too. I like what Michael Green says about this passage about John the Baptist and Jesus. He says this, he says, John was Jesus' messenger sent to prepare the way. And they, the religious leaders, they will never understand who Jesus is until they recognize who John was. John's message, repent, is the precondition for Jesus' message, believe. And so the religious leaders, they find themselves caught in a dilemma, don't they? And they're not only caught in a dilemma, it is a dilemma of their own making. Okay, they did this all by themselves. Uh, they got into this all on their own. How many times do we do that? How many times do we get ourselves into trouble with God all on our own? Can't blame anybody else. I did this. Uh, you can relate with the religious leaders and how they must have felt at this time. And their dilemma was simply this. How do we answer? 
Because, folks, this is basically a lose-lose proposition for them, right? If they say, well, John's authority came from God, they lose. Because Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you believe him? And if they say, well, John's authority is from men, they also lose. Because they risk upsetting the people. The people all say John was a prophet. Now, I want you to notice, in all of this, in all of their discussions and deliberations, the one thing they don't seem remotely interested in is just giving a straight answer. Right? Answering the question honestly is not even on their minds. Instead, what are they doing? They're carefully weighing the options, testing the winds, running all sorts of advanced straw polls in their minds. They are acting more like politicians than religious leaders. And perhaps that's part of the problem. So Jesus counters the religious leaders' questions with a question of his own. And the religious leaders find themselves caught in a dilemma of their own making. How in the world are they going to answer this one? Let's move on now. We'll look at the closing of this incident now. The religious leaders have confronted Jesus. Jesus has countered the religious leaders. Time for closing arguments. So, okay, let's see what what they've come up with. All of this working and deliberating. Let's hear their great closing argument. Verse 27. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. We don't know. And then Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What did the religious leaders do? They decided to play it safe. They refused to answer Jesus' question. They know that no matter how they answer Jesus, it's not going to look good for them. They don't want to affirm John's ministry. They don't want to offend the people, so they take the easy way out. We don't know. Talk about wishy-washy, right? Talk about cowardice. Talk about refusing to take a stand. Like the person on the witness stand who just answers every question with, I don't recall. I I don't recall. I don't recall. And of course, answering we don't know, that wasn't a real good option for these guys either. You see, they were not just in a lose-lose situation. They were in a lose-lose-lose situation. No matter what they did, they were going to lose. John the Baptist, he was the most important religious figure to appear in Israel for centuries. And now you've got the religious leaders, the ones who are leading the nation, coming out and saying, we have no opinion on him. We have no opinion about him. Here they are ready to judge Jesus when they cannot even pass judgment on John the Baptist. And so the religious leaders, they refuse to answer Jesus' question, so Jesus refuses to answer theirs. Now remember, Jesus had offered them a trade here, right? He said, I will, I will do it. I will answer your questions if you answer mine. And you know what? If they had done that, if they had followed through and answered Jesus' question, you can be assured Jesus would do what he said he was going to do. He would have followed through and answered theirs. You see, Jesus is more than ready to answer all your questions as long as you are ready to receive his answers. But you see, they didn't ask in good faith, did they? They didn't ask in faith at all. They asked out of an unbelieving heart and with a challenging spirit. Both their manner and their questions displayed a stubborn refusal to believe either Jesus or John. They were in a lose, lose, lose situation. But I want you to notice something else here. No matter what they do, Jesus still achieves his objective, right? 
Now, if they had answered his question, then Jesus would have answered theirs. I imagine it would have gone something like this. He would have said, okay, you answered my question, I'll answer yours. I'm doing these things by the authority of my Father in heaven. And if he had said that, you know what would have happened? They would have immediately gone out and started plotting against him. Instead, they refused to answer him, so he refused to answer them. And you know what they did? They immediately went out and started to plot against him. See, either way, the religious leaders lose. Either way, Jesus wins, which is pretty much the story every time someone goes up against Jesus. I want to close now with four applications for us from our passage today. Four applications. Uh, Once again, they're all in the outline in your worship guide. Application number one, don't go up against God. Don't go up against God. Remember, he's God, and you're not. Okay? If you you don't remember anything else from the message today, remember that. He's God, we're not, right? Word of advice, never engage in a battle of wits with God because you will always lose. The religious leaders thought, hey, we're setting Jesus up. Instead, Jesus set them up. They thought they were putting Jesus in a no-win situation. Instead, Jesus put them in a no-win situation. And he put himself in a win-either-way situation. It all reminds me of a psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm Psalm chapter 2. Let me read the first half of it for you right now, verses 1 through 6. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. You see, God cannot be intimidated God cannot be cornered. God cannot be manipulated. That's our first application. Don't go up against God, okay? Because God never loses. He always wins. And that leads us directly into our second application, which is choose your side carefully. Think about it. Do you want to be on the winning side or the losing side? I don't know anybody who ever wants to be on the losing side. And usually there's some risk in choosing sides because you don't know which side is going to win. But folks, in this case, we already know who's going to win. There's no risk. The only risk is choosing the wrong side, right? There's an old song uh, I love. It goes like this. It says, he wins. He wins. Hallelujah, he wins. I read the back of the book, and he wins. And then the, the next chorus goes, God wins. God wins. Hallelujah. God wins. He wrote the back of the book, and he wins. You know, we read the uh, first half of Psalm 2 just a minute ago. Let me read you the second half now, verses 7 through 12 on choosing sides. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, and, and, and prophetically this is speaking to Jesus now, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, 
Be wise. What's he saying? Choose your side carefully. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. I mean, show your loyalty to him. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Once again, remember, he's God. You're not. So choose your side carefully. That's application number two. Application number three is this. God doesn't owe you anything, but he already gave you everything. Let me say that again. God doesn't owe you anything, but he already gave you everything. Let's break that down just for a moment. God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe you or me. He doesn't owe you any explanations. He doesn't owe you any answers. Remember, he's God. We're not. Job. Job never found out why he suffered. We don't always know why certain things happen in our life. I believe we will know one day in heaven. But God doesn't owe us anything. Now, we read from Romans chapter 11 earlier in the service, 1135, which says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? It's a rhetorical question, right? But the answer is no one, nobody. No one's ever given to God that God owed him back. God has no obligations outside of his own freely given promises, which he was free to give or not to give in the first place. God doesn't owe you anything, and yet he already gave you everything. I love these verses from Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, God gave you his son. What more could he give? So yeah, God does not owe you anything, but you owe him everything. You owe him your life, your worship, your thanksgiving and your praise. You owe him your faith, your trust, your loyalty, your obedience. God doesn't owe you, but you do owe him. Now, you can never repay him, okay? I hope you know. You can never repay him. That's not going to happen. But what you can do is you can confess your sins to him, and you can put your trust in Jesus, his son. That's a real good start. In fact, that's the, the only place where you can begin with God. Which leads us to our fourth and final application. God's in charge, so trust him. Trust him, he's got you covered. I love the words of David in Psalm 31, verses 14 and 15. David says, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Lord, my times are in your hands. So those are our four applications this morning. Don't go up against God. That's foolish. Choose your side carefully. That's wise. God doesn't owe you anything but he already gave you everything. God's in charge, so trust him. Leave it 
in his hands. He will take good care of you. So who's in charge here? Praise God, it's God, right? Praise God, it's God. Praise God, it's not you or me, right? I mean, how good a job do you think we would do running the universe? But let's be honest with ourselves, how good a job are we doing just running our own lives, right? How would you like to be responsible for running a nation or the planet or the solar system? Do you really want to be in charge of the wind and the rain and the orbits of the planets and the swirl of the stars and the galaxies? Do you want to be in charge of people's lives and salvation and all of human history as well as the future destiny of mankind? Now, let's face it, folks. We would not last one day on the job, right? Everything's just going to grind to a halt. So praise God that he's in charge. Praise God that he's God and we're not. And let's remember that next time before we get ourselves into trouble like the religious leaders did. You know, right before Jesus went back to heaven, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who's in charge here? God's in charge. Jesus is in charge. So let's follow his lead. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this amazing incident that's recorded for us in Scripture. Lord, there's humor in it. We, we can't read it through the first time without chuckling, but then, Lord, when we realize this is also written to us, that we kind of swallow our laughter and, and say, Lord, I, I need your grace. I need your grace. And, Lord, we thank you for your wonderful, amazing grace that we have in Jesus. Lord, we are sorry for our sins. We can never repay you, but we can trust you. We can submit to you as Lord of the universe, as Lord of our lives. We can give you the praise and glory and honor that is due your name. And Lord, we can trust you to take care of us in all situations. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.